Welcome to episode 19 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, it's Todd Houston again. I just wanted to invite you to become a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network. We want to really ramp up what we have to offer in 2021, this new year that we find ourselves in. So please reach out to us if you have ideas for webinars, courses, or even maybe a new podcast that you'd like to develop. Reach out to me at Todd at 3CDigitalMediaNetwork.com and I'll be in touch. Thanks. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Stephanie Lucas to the podcast. Stephanie is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Oregon and a mom to two beautiful daughters. Her youngest daughter was diagnosed with single-sided deafness at two months old and her family has journeyed through the process of a clinical trial, hearing aids, cochlear implantation, and speech therapy over the last year and a half. Stephanie is passionate about advocating for family involvement in treatment, supporting parents as they support their kiddos, and advocating for deaf and hard-of-hearing children everywhere. She can be found on Facebook or on Instagram at Stephanie. Lucas MFT or Riverside Family Counseling.com. And here's the interview with Stephanie. Stephanie Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Can you give me some more information about your background? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so fun to join you today. Um, I am a primarily a mom of a child who is deaf in her left ear and hard of hearing in her right ear. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist out in Oregon. And so I think that I've listened to your podcast a few times just as a way of getting resources for my family and my kids. And um, I think it's great that you offer a really unique perspective and help in, in growing for an underserved population. <laughs> well, well, thank you. You're, you're our one listener in Washington <laughs> State. Um, so you mentioned you're a parent of a child. And, and mm-hmm. how old is he, she? Uh, Riley is a uh, girl and she's 20 months old. She's 20 so. months old. Mm-hmm. And based on what uh, you've shared with me, she has a single-sided deafness. Yeah, she was born deaf in her left ear. And let's let's go down that road of therapy and, and getting a perspective from a parent who's, in a sense, still going through this process. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually had an interesting journey. I'll kind of just tell the story, I guess is a good way to start. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't have any sort of familial or genetic uh, history of deafness in our family. And um, 
she was born at a birthing center. So she didn't have an immediate newborn hearing screen. And it was kind of just one of those things they say, okay, go do this by the time she's two months. And, and we did, uh, and it, she didn't pass obviously on the first round and it kind of just felt like, oh, you know, no big deal, no big thing. Just go back and do it again somewhere else. Um, and so it wasn't until she was about three months old that she was actually diagnosed as deaf in her left ear. Uh, and as a part of that process, she was screened for CMV. Uh, which is cytomegavirus. Um, and it turned out that about 39 weeks pregnant, I had gotten sick um, with CMV. And then that was the cause of her deafness. Um, so with that came referrals and early intervention and all of those things. And as a single-sided deaf kiddo, we got a lot of feedback that was, well, she's probably going to be fine right? Lots of people didn't even know they were deaf and mm -hmm. on one side, you know, mm -hmm. for so many years. And um, we were doing all these screenings and preparations. And, you know, I felt a little bit lost of like, well, how do I help her? How do I know if she needs help? Mm -hmm. You know, what's probably fine mean? Am I comparing her to her sister or not? And, you know, every kiddo is different. So um, we did get involved with early intervention, which was mostly assessments. Um, <laughs> she wasn't getting a lot of therapy. <laughs> she was getting an assessment. Well, she's probably okay. An assessment, she's probably okay. Um, and then at about 13, 14 months old, um, she was having routine screening on her right ear uh, because she, with cytomegavirus, you have a 50-50 chance of your hearing loss progressing. So she did have a hearing loss progression on her right side. Uh, and at that point, we decided to do a cochlear implant on her left side to make sure that she was getting as much hearing as possible um, for her brain development. So she actually just got her implant at the end of October. So it's been about two and a half months, I guess, um, <laughs> since great. she got that. So um, yeah, and we just started speech therapy uh, through OHSU up here in Portland. So awesome. Well, let's uh, let's go back to that point of diagnosis. Because that's mm -hmm. something that I think a lot of new parents, new parents of you know, learning this diagnosis. Um, any advice in terms of your experience when you hear that diagnosis, how to handle that situation, parent to parent, what would you say? Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard to know what to do because we you know, it wasn't a world we were a part of. It wasn't a world we understood and kind of just being thrown into all of these new words and acronyms and what does that mean? And um, kind of having a team of support, but also not knowing where to look at the exact same time. I think uh, the thing that was most helpful for me, I think I was lucky to have a social services background because I knew how to find support. <laughs> I knew, oh, this person's job is to help me here and that person's job is to help me there. And, and this is where I can be an advocate for my daughter. Um, but I think that what was most helpful for me was talking to other parents. I know in your previous podcast with the parent, she talked about that too, that finding um, that support from another parent who's had the same experience um, and learning stories of other kiddos who have gone through the same thing and where they are now. I think a lot as a parent, it's that, well, is she going to get bullied or does she have to have an IEP or, you know, what does any of that look like? And to find stories of kids who have gone the same way and that they're okay and they're doing fine and they're doing great and they're thriving in so many different ways. And that's really calming and settling. I think when you get that initial diagnosis of, of not knowing what the future is going to look like to say other people have gone through this and, and they're doing great things. So 
we can do it too. Is there an organized parent group or is it more referral from your team to different parents? You know, we got an automatic referral for, um, oh gosh, no, of course I'm going to forget the name. I think it's a national organization um, that's parent to parent. Uh, is it Hands and Voices? Yes, yes, it's it was Hands, hands and voices. voices. Thank you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I also found a few groups on Facebook, um, mm-hmm. one initially for kids who had Bajas, which was mm-hmm. the type of hearing assistance she had when she was only single with sight of deaf. Um, and then eventually just a group for support. It's, I think it's just a support for parents of kids with hearing loss. Um, and both of those are really helpful. And now I'm in you know, ones that have books and reading resources and speech language resources and all of those things. But just the initial sources of of people saying, yeah, we've been there. It's going to be okay. And, and we've done this. And uh, especially prior to her cochlear implant, it was so helpful. You know, I pulled my husband in and I said, look, there's pictures of these kids and, <laughs> and what it's been like afterwards. And, you know, this is their recovery story. And it was extremely helpful just in feeling like we're going to, we're going to make it, it's going to be okay. And to know what to expect. For sure. That's good. It's, it's really great to have a a positive use of social media these days. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of the process now. We used to go home and Google something and then no, we still do that. But then we jump on Facebook and, you know, uh, Instagram, maybe, and some other of these platforms and see, okay, who else out there is has experienced the same thing? There has to be a group. And yeah. then we go from there. <laughs> so that's a, a positive use. So you guys decided on the implant after the Baja. Uh, Talk about that process of deciding um, on getting the implant and how that worked for you guys. Um, It was an interesting process. I'd say I might have actually chosen to get it sooner, I think, in retrospect. Um, We were waiting, kind of waiting to see if she had a delay or needed that extra support or wanted to give her um, the opportunity to make a choice. In in my own ignorance, really, I think I didn't, I wasn't thinking about brain development and this season of her life and, and wanting her to be able to choose whether or not she had that, that surgery or that intervention. Um, and now I think in retrospect, I probably would have chosen and realized, you know, what an important window this is for her, for her brain development and growth. And that, um, again, in my own ignorance, I thought that a cochlear was, was a permanent fixture on your head. I didn't realize it just came off. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the things you learn is, mm-hmm. is this is all new to you. And so um, I think that deciding that that was best for her brain development and it was best for her speech language development um, and best for her just having access to the world and the way that we want her to be able to grow. Um, it turned into, you know, providing her with the, the most resources we could. And, and that was the way to go. Oh, that's great. Well, I, it, from my perspective, I think you guys made the right decision. So she's been activated now for a couple mm-hmm. of months. What have you seen in terms of differences in how she's responding? Oh, gosh. You know, it's it's such a dynamic time regardless, I think, um, in terms of language growth and development. And I think what we've seen is her being a normal kid, um, which we might not have been seeing <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if we hadn't intervened. Um, you know, she started daycare about six weeks ago, and she's 
learning to interact with other kids and learning tracking tracking in a really noisy room whereas right. you know just being home with mom or the dog is is not too overwhelming but she's handled that really beautifully and i think it's really a testament to you know her own resilience but also her ability to utilize what what she's got available to her which is um now surround sound and mm-hmm. and being able to um just grow socially and emotionally in a way and and linguistically she's really starting to flourish you know she's talking to the dog (laughs) singing songs and and it's really been a beautiful thing to watch her grow and it it really does feel normal to her to wear her cochlear all day long um you know i'll ask her in the morning do you want your hearing aid and she'll say yeah and and we put it on and, and that's it for the whole day she's wearing it um so um it's been really nice it can be done (laughs) it it can be done and and that's a you know a struggle for a lot of families um and and have to come up with strategies sometimes to help the the parents keep the device on the child's head whether it's hearing aids or cochlear implants but you know i had a, a another uh parent many many years ago uh who had uh, a child with hearing loss, uh, who then later went back to school, became a an auditory verbal therapist and quite well known. All that, she says. Well, we teach them not to touch the stove, and or they'll mm-hmm. get burnt. You know, we teach them these things that they can't do. And then, in her perspective, is you know, we put these hearing aids on and they mm-hmm. don't touch them. You know, uh, that was sort of her her <laughs> tough love kind of approach. And, and to a degree, I do, ag- I do agree with her in that it's sort of the expectation is setting the expectation that you're going to be wearing uh, the device and it's a positive thing and, and going through that kind of process uh, I think is important when you're as a parent to, to try to get the, the devices on the children. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that I dreaded most. Um, one of the things I cried to my therapist mm-hmm. about was like, am I going to have to put this thing on her 60 times a day and fight her all day long? Mm-hmm. I was really terrified of that um, and feeling like, you know, I already do so much for my kids all day long sure. and now there's this whole other layer. Um, and so, I mean, I can definitely relate to any parents out there who are feeling that frustration and struggle and fear and you know, I, I give her a lot of credit. I think she was highly adaptable. Um, we also did the uh, little chocolate kiss every time you put it on <laughs> for the first couple of weeks. Maybe it was a, it was a chocolate chip. There we go. Not too much, but uh, bribing with chocolate. She enjoyed that. Yeah, another, she enjoyed it. It's another <laughs> keeps technique. those fingers busy. You know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, another technique. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's I, I've heard you know many different ways that parents have done it uh, to have that positive reinforcement about they have a chart and they, every hour they put a sticker on if they get you know eight hours and they get to you know do something that they want to do mm-hmm. you know, different things like that that come that come to uh, to mind. I, I remember uh, another family had a, a really small infant and. They shared with me that that the child was just had enough mobility to get their fingers up and pull the hearing aids out. And so they said, we came up with a solution. I said, oh, oh, great. She said, floaties. So the little <laughs> floaties. The water, the water yeah. <laughs> she put, they put them on the each arm and the child just couldn't, didn't, couldn't 
quite get there with the floaties on. And, and it kind of worked because once the child kind of forgot about it and knew that uh, they couldn't within a few days, you know, that they, he wasn't pulling at the hearing aids as much anymore. Yeah, we're a creative bunch. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, my hat is off to you and all the parents who, who come up with different ways of, of making it work. And, uh, and these kids, you know, eventually they, themselves start to internalize that they're more connected. They're hearing things. They're involved in language and communication. And I can do all those things much better when I have my technology right. on. For her to- and, uh, right. So she, she's probably at some level kind of realizing that, that she wants to have it on because it gets her connected yeah, even more. So in terms of, you know, your professional background um, in counseling, how would you, if let's say if you had a, a parent who came to you more from a counseling perspective about mm-hmm. um, dealing with change in this situation of having this idea that my child was going to be one way prior to birth, but child is born fails the newborn hearing screening and that hearing loss is confirmed. And now they're having to, like you guys did, have to learn about this whole new world of hearing loss. Mm -hmm. What would you do to sort of start with that parent, if you don't mind, just hypothetically? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think all therapists would say that hearing the story and and creating space for the story is really important. And um, I think just pulling from my own experience, um, making sure that that full story is there. So even the parents are going to have emotions, right? I mean, for our own story, right? I got sick. I could have had the experience of like, gosh, what Mm -hmm. should I have done differently to prevent this? Right. Um, there's a place for that. I think all parents may have guilt or, or wondering, you know, is this my fault on some level um, or, or the fear of not knowing and, and the stress of that. And I think that, you know, my, my mantra is emotions come first because they get mm-hmm. in the way sure. if they don't, <laughs> they have their own way of coming out um, and allowing space for parents to feel the emotions that they need to feel. And they might, you know, want to cry to their therapist and feel overwhelmed that they're going to have to put this thing back 60 times a day and how overwhelming that is. And uh, sometimes that feels embarrassing to say to the audiologist because the audiologist is like, well, this is really important. What do you mean it feels overwhelming? You know, it's like, well, I get that. And, um, you know, it's a whole new world and and having two kids in general is just overwhelming and, and just creating space for that and safety for that, that you can say you're scared they're going to get bullied. You can say you're scared that you don't know how to learn ASL and you mm-hmm. don't know if you want to and, and you know, this or that person wants you to. And um, I think that's really important. And, and sometimes parents aren't always on the same page. You know, it took my husband uh, a lot longer to adapt mm-hmm. to the idea that this was going to be a daily thing that, mm-hmm. that we're working on and growing as a family and learning together. Um, he was, and with Corona, I was the only one going to the medical appointments and talking to the doctors and getting right. the information and passing it all back. So um, looking at that whole system and saying, you know, are, how do the grandparents feel about this? How do the siblings feel about this? Where, where is your support coming from? Um, 
I think is, is a really important place to start and say, you know, where, where are all the different emotions in this whole system and what feels most helpful in terms of support? Uh, you mentioned your husband. I, I, working with dads is one of the things I'd love to do. Uh, and I would say uh, for the, <clears throat> excuse me, the practice that I have uh, at Akron Children's Hospital I have you know a pretty good mix of dads that come in. I would say it 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 probably leans a little more towards the moms who do do come in. But that being said, you know I what I have found with dads, especially at that initial diagnosis and shortly thereafter, they're the mindset for the dad, and again, this may be a little bit of a stereotype, but is that I need to fix this for my family. I, and and I'm not equipped to fix this with my family, and so I'm going to kind of not kind of put it off and not sort of deal with it and and accept it yet because it's my role to make the sa- the family safe, you know, in their mind. And and I've I've seen that struggle with with dads uh, over the you know past thirty years or so, and you know sometimes it's just you know saying okay you don't have all the answers, dad. This is how we're going to get through this together. Yeah, I think it's really hard to not feel like there's no one clear mm-hmm. path of this is how to fix it. This is what to do. A, B, C, D. Let's right. do it. Right. You have to make decisions and wait and see and notice and try and a lot of gray and a lot of difficulty and a lot of it's it's hard for everyone to sit with that. I think, um, you know moms are maybe, well, their job is to be supportive, right? Their job is to love unconditionally and and learn all the things. And, um, you know, so it it does feel like that there's a place to go with, with, oh, well, I'm going to love my kid no matter what. I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to, you know, learn how to support them. Uh, And obviously dads feel that way too, but it's, it's a little more outside of their role of what they feel they maybe are supposed to do. Right. Um, And and my message to to dads, uh, have been or has been that don't you know your, your wife shouldn't carry the full load you know and, and and because if if a dad comes into me for the first time and he doesn't know how you know how how long the child is wearing the the technology or what what we did last week in therapy because he never got that from his his wife who does come or you know just doesn't have the answers that are like critical we we just sort of say okay let's time out what is your role in this situation let's talk through that um because with we do see in a lot of situations and and research that goes back a number of years is that uh, families that have children with disabilities or special needs, they have a much higher rate. When we know that fifty, roughly fifty percent of marriages may you know, end in divorce, those marriages with uh, with those kids uh, are a bit higher rate, and so uh, we don't want those things to happen. And and getting everyone on the same page from the beginning is is really critical. Yeah, it's even more work. <laughs> <laughs> it's even more work <laughs> to stay connected and make sure everyone's getting all the information and and doing what they need to do and communicating about, you know, who has the time and energy and, um, you know, that second parent isn't just the taxi to the appointment. Mm -hmm. It's they get to participate and learn. And, and it may be on a different timeline than, 
you know, the primary care parent, but that that's okay. And, and they're still invited in and um, it is work. It's work to even just communicate with each other about how you're feeling about things. And um, sure. you know, as a therapist, of course, I'm a big proponent of therapy <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, for help doing that work because mm-hmm. it can often go um, missed. I think um, we can set it aside because, Oh, we are going to get the cochlear. So let's do this, 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 and mm-hmm. you know, six months have gone by, but maybe we haven't talked about, you know, how we feel about those things or, you know, I know that um, my husband just a couple of weeks ago was struggling to replace the battery in her hearing aid that she's had for five months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh gosh, I didn't even realize that, you know, I'd been the only one doing that. And, you know, it's once a week, it's not a big deal, but right. um, those little things that can often go missed. Sure. Sure. I, and I think it's important for professionals to, to look at the family. We will always talk about family centered intervention, but I I remember a, a couple I worked with uh, several years ago and the dad would say, you know, I would be at home for that early intervention visit. They would come in the home and do all these things and they never look at me and they never talk to me. And I'm sitting right there beside my wife or in the chair right next to where everything is happening. And I thought, you know, how cruel in one sense that these professionals were not doing their jobs the way they should be is, I mean, they focused on the mom and they gave her all the information and he's listening, but they never asked him for his input or, you know, anything at all. He, he says, I could have been a piece of furniture and, Mm -hmm. and it would have made no difference, you know? And, uh, and so he was quite frustrated with, you know, some of the service delivery that they had experienced Um, being a dad of a, of a child that, had profound bilateral hearing loss. And so, you know, I learned from that is, is always when the couple comes in, look at both people, engage with both people, you know, make sure, you know, that is happening so that they feel comfortable. And, and I still think that too often professionals will look at one or the other and not, you know, try to include both. Yeah, absolutely. And and noticing if someone's withdrawn or, you know, I've noticed this person has or hasn't showed up every time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oftentimes asking questions when both are there, you may notice oh, there's a couple of th- therapy background here, like, <laughs> oh, they seem to disagree on that answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Or um, this person's always the one who answers the question, even though I'm offering it to both of them, or maybe this person, you know, doesn't know the lingo the same way the other one does. Uh, and that's a great area of growth, sure. I think, as a family with treatment, especially in speech therapy, to say, um, to be able to assess, you know, how much is the whole system picking up or is it just, you know, one parent or another trying to carry the whole load um, and realizing that if everyone is invited in and everyone is welcomed, um, how much more that kiddo is going to benefit. Right, exactly. Well, we've we've covered a lot in a short period of time. What advice would you give? You, you mentioned early on um, that getting that that single because it's, your Riley has single sided deafness didn't feel like you got the support you needed. What is your advice to the professionals out there, whether they're audiologists, early interventionists, speech language pathologists? You know, based on your experience at this point in this process, 
what could have been better? What what would you recommend? That's a good question. Um, I think at the very beginning, most of what was happening was people trying to reassure us, which is of course natural. And um, I mean, she, we actually ended up doing a um, clinical trial uh, because she had CMV. Uh, and so even the optometrist had told us, oh yeah, I've seen a lot of single-sided deaf kids and they're all fine. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but, and, and that's great. And I'm glad that they, they told us that it is going to be okay. And I think that, um, giving us the space and being able to circle back and saying, here are all of your options. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's where you could benefit here. And here's where, you know, we might go if these things happen. Uh, I felt a little awash in that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I love that our speech language pathologist now will send us a little email afterwards and say, this is what we talked about and, and mm-hmm. what we'll circle back to next time because your brain is so overloaded sure. um, that, you know, if you're not actually taking notes or recording your meeting with a, with a specialist, you think the 40% is the statistic of what you actually remember. Right. Um, and that's when you're not emotionally overwhelmed. So um, just giving that space and saying, let's circle back to this. I really appreciated when uh, my providers, we would have a session and then I would get a text message or an email later that day or the next day to say, how are you processing all of this? Did you have any questions? What, you know, what holes can we fill in? Because at that point I was less overwhelmed at that point. Mm -hmm. I had cried about this or that, and then got to the point of saying, oh, wait, what does a Baja look like? (laughs) I had no idea. Um, Or how much is this going to cost me? Or are there resources for that? And those things you you don't want to blurt out in the moment because, you know, there's a lot going on, but it really helped to have those professionals who circled back and and checked in on those things and allowed me to uh, just have the mental space to process those questions and come back and ask them. That's great. That's great. Well, I, I think you've, you've given us all great advice and, and tremendous insights as a parent, but also as a professional. And I really appreciate you being with me today. And I wish yeah. you and Riley all the best uh, in this new year of 2021 and, and continue success. Yeah, I look forward to listening to more contributors. <laughs> I could have spoken with Stephanie for another hour. I really appreciate her perspectives, both as a parent and as a counselor, because I think she really brings those unique perspectives together in terms of how she and her husband and her family are dealing with the diagnosis of her daughter, Riley, with single-sided deafness, and then later cochlear implantation. So I wish them well. I know they're on this great journey, and it certainly seems that they have all the resources they need for continued success. And speaking of resources, something that you can help us with is recommend people who you might want to hear on this podcast. Feel free to reach out to me at Todd at 3C Digital Media Network, and I'll do my very best to try to get that person on the show. And if you don't mind, please leave us a five-star review. That really does help us attract new listeners and new subscribers and to expand and grow the program. 
And with that, thank you for listening, as always, and be kind and stay safe. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. Thank you.